But it's an interesting time of the year. I don't know about you guys, but there, there's kind of this thing, <clears throat> I think for us as humans, we, we're very, very finite. We understand, especially as we get older, how realistic it is that everything starts and everything ends. And I think there's something about us, um, a lot of us don't like it, but a lot of us get kind of a, acquainted with this idea that things end and things start. And sometimes it can actually be um, really good. I, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of have this sense in my own mind sometimes. You look back and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to leave all that stuff behind in 2011. I don't know if you guys have that same type of thing. You have things about you maybe you don't like, things that you've done a lot in your life, and then you, you like to be able to just kind of finish that and put it the file in the cabinet and shut it, and then when someone says, you know, like, well, hey, remember when you used to be like this? And you're like, man, that was all the way back in 2011. They're like, that was yesterday. And you're like, but it was back in 2011. This is 2012. It's a brand new year. You can't drag that stuff across that line. It's finite. 2011, done, sealed, over. Has anyone made any New Year's resolutions? I have not. Wow. See, apparently we're not as resolute as we used to be. Anyways, I have not made any resolutions. I probably should get started um, because I have not, and it's already the beginning of the new year. Anyways, back in the Old Testament, I was reading this story a while back, and it reminded me a lot of the this, this whole idea of the beginning of like a new year, beginning of something new. I don't know if you guys have read much of the Old Testament, but you know, as, as the story goes on, um, there's a section of the Bible where it focuses really a, a lot on the Israelites, okay? And these were the chosen people of God. And most of you guys would probably remember, uh, if you grow up in any type of um, Sunday school or anything, uh, a guy named Moses. And, and there's that awesome story about how Moses was called by God. He came in and he led the, Is- I mean, the, uh, the Israelites out of captivity and slavery from the Egyptians. He led them out into the wilderness. Unfortunately, they were extremely unfaithful. And because of that unfaithfulness, God actually banished them to wander in the desert for 40 years Basically, what they did is they walked around and followed um, God's spirit. But the reason why they did is he was basically waiting for all of that generation who walked out of captivity to die. Basically, what happened is is all these people were very unfaithful, and God said, I'm going to basically make you guys hang out until all of that generation dies, and then your kids, hopefully with more faith, will be the ones that I'll actually lead into the promised land. The people who got called out of Egypt, my guess is they really, you know, kind of, because of their faithlessness, really shortchanged on what they thought was going to happen. Going to leave Egyptian captivity, and they were going to go to this beautiful promised land, but they never made it. Well, as the story goes on, um, and it goes through Exodus, is a story of them leaving and Moses and these unfaithful people. But then in the Bible comes this book called Deuteronomy. And um, Deuteronomy is a really interesting one. It's the last letter that, like, Moses pens. What he does is he finds out that he's actually not going into the promised land. And it's divided by this river, um, and, and this, this river, the river, uh, Jordan River that, that flows between these two lands, they have to cross this to get into their promised land, and God tells Moses, you aren't going. The next guy, Joshua, who's underneath you, he's actually going to take over and lead when they go across. And he says, you're going to stay here. So what Moses does is he decides, I'm going to recount all the stuff that's happened, and I'm going to put it in a book. And that's what Deuteronomy is. It's like summing up all of the promises of God and all the things for the Israelites. And kind of like he's going to say one last time, don't forget this stuff. And he kind of put it all together. So he wrote this. And um, knowing that background, I want to read you just kind of a verse. And I think this kind of sums up the, the feel of what Deuteronomy was. In, um, in Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 11, I'm going to read to 20. It's a little bit of a section, but um, you can read along with me if you have your Bible or just listen to me. This is what Moses says. 
This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. It's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear and obey? It's not kept behind the, beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. Stop there for just a second. See, what he's writing at is they are literally at the bank of the Jordan. And they are about ready to cross into that promised land. And that's why he's writing this. He says, listen, I've written these things out. It's not hard to grasp. There are things you know. And he says, before you cross over and enter that land to occupy, you need to make a decision. He says, but if your hearts turn away and you refuse to listen, if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curse. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given way before. And these people all came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from that, that lineage. And all these people were the, the distant sons and daughters. And he says, you're going to cross this, this river to take this land, but you need to make a decision. He says, basically, all of that that was behind us, wandering the desert for 40 years, it ends today, and tomorrow starts a brand new day. What are you going to do with it? What's the decision you're going to make? Basically, I think of it like this. I think that the... the Israelites got all the way up to this river, and when they stood at the bank, I think they figured, there's our finish line. You know, they figured, there's our finish line. We've, we've been called from captivity. We've wandered for 40 years, and there it sits in front of us. That's the finish line. Once we cross it, the story's over. Finally, we won. But what Moses writes is this. That river is not the finish line. He says, that river is the starting line. Is all of this up until this point, all of these things, God taking you from captivity, sending the plagues, wandering for 40 years, was simply to get you to point A, the starting line for your faith. And he says, now when we cross this, now you need to make your decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back to these old ways, or are you going to take and embrace the, the law that I gave to you, which is so clear? He says, it's not far off. It's easy to understand. What are you going to decide? Welcome to the starting line. When I thought about it and realized um, the whole beginning of the year, and I, and I read this verse, I realized it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? We come to the beginning of a year, and we think, like, that's the finish line. Like, I skid in, and 2011 is done, and finally, I made it. But the reality is, as soon as we skid out of 2011... Boom, we're right into 2012. Welcome to a starting line. Welcome to a starting line. The reality is, though, this isn't a bad thing. It's not. It's, it's actually a good thing. I know that some people maybe had a tough 2011. Anyone out there? Tough 2011? Yeah? 
I had uh, some tough times in 2011 too. Maybe you look back at it and you think, man, you know, I am not sad to see that 1-1 at the end of the year done and something new. It's the truth. But what I'm saying is, is this. If today you are here, first day of 2012, there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason. It says in the Bible that if we are Christ, it says that we are his, his worker or his slave. And does anyone believe that God is wasteful? No. God is not wasteful. And it says that if we belong to him, we are sons and daughters, and also that we work with him, we toil with him. A lot like kind of like my relationship with my dad. Son and, father and son, but also I work for him. You know, he's, my, he's my boss too, and, and what he says is what I apply to what I do at my job. And the same kind of thing. Sons and daughters of God, but also we work with God, don't we? And he says, you're, you're workers that work in my fields, and, and if God lets you make it to 2012, don't you think it's because there's a reason? My God is not wasteful. He wouldn't let you breathe his air if there wasn't something for you to do. It would have ended. He wouldn't be wasteful. Welcome to the starting line. When I look through the Bible, there's actually um, a really, really great uh, section of the Bible. And if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Turn to this. Underline it. If you guys have phones or whatever with it on it, go for it. Go to it. It's, it's, it's a great one to go back to, but it's Hebrews 12, 1. And this is one of those verses that you guys should, you guys should remember. There's verses in the Bibles. I'm telling you guys, you need, to, you need to read them and reread them and highlight them and underline them. And you need to remember some pieces, even if you don't know where, they're at, where they are. My mom is a big fan of that as well, too. She always says, I don't know where it's at, but I can tell you what it says. And this is one of them, too, okay? This is what it says. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. That's all I'm going to read. One verse. I don't need to read you the entire chapter. I'm saying that in that one verse, there is more than one message's worth of conversation to be had out of that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a, a the, N, the old NIV t- uh, term that I'm used to reading back from when I was a, a kid, it always says, since we are sur- surrounded by such a heavy cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the, the weight that burdens and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out before us. And that verse, it conjures so much. What it's saying is this. If you are here, 2012, first day, I'm saying that God already has a race marked out for you for 2012. You notice this verse when he's talking about it. He doesn't say that you would discover and you would find out and you would set up a path for your life. It says that God already has a race marked out for us. Does that at all get you excited? I mean, it's 2012, and right now we are not even a full day into it. And what I'm saying is that for the year 2012, for this next 365 days, God already has a path set up for you. He already has one marked out for you to run, and he's saying, run it. That gets me excited. Does it get you excited? You can go ahead and shout in church if you get excited. If you say, yeah, you can go ahead and you can say, yeah, come on. What's up? Huh? Come on. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I I know where I know, you know, I don't. I don't ask for amens or hallelujahs a lot, but, you know, every so often, if you just think like, yeah, that's a good point, I'm going to run the race marked out for me. Yeah, you can go ahead and shout it out. No one's going to look at you funny. Maybe some people, but it's all good, right? It doesn't matter. If you want to stand up and you want to shout and you want to say amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus, whatever you want to shout out, that's fine. 
What I'm saying is this. 2012, standing only a few hours into it, it could seem daunting to us, but this is what I'm saying. If you have Jesus, it is not a gamble. It is not a long shot. It's not a chance. I'm saying that God already has your victory set out. He already has the plan layout. He already has the guardrail set up, and he's saying, now, I have the race marked out for you. Let's run it. Let's run it together, and let's do something amazing. It's not a long shot. It says this in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It says that a long time ago, man, when we were just, just little kids, it says that God was writing the plans for our life. He was writing the plans for the day when we got our life straight with God. And we said, you know what, God, we want to live a life with you, in partnership with you. And he says, I've already been working out things that I want you to do since day one. There's things that I'm going to call you to do that no one else is going to be able to accomplish. He says, I already have them marked out and written on your hands, man. They're ready for you to do. If you're sitting here today, tonight, it is not an accident. It's not an accident. You didn't just accidentally stumble into 2012 and God missed you and you're here by chance. And it just so happens that you're still breathing air and you're still alive. I'm saying that if you're here, there's a reason. You're not here by chance. You're not here by accident. He has plans for you. He has a reason for you. He has a race marked out for you. If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, same exact thing. There's a reason why you're here tonight to hear this message. I can tell you that much. It says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you say, you know what, I'm not solid in my relationship with Jesus, there's a reason why you're here tonight. There's a reason why you walked in. Think about a runner. Because this terminology I'm using, this this race marked out for us. Picture a runner for a second. Let me ask you a few questions. Is it the runner's responsibility to figure out and, and map out the race? No. Is it the runner's responsibility to worry about all the rules and get people signed up and coordinate all the stuff? No. And it's not their responsibility at all. I mean, is it, is it the, the runner's um, responsibility to set up the prize at the end of it and to set up what's going to happen afterwards and to set up? No. All a runner does is shows up ready and takes off when that gun goes off. That's all they do. They show up and they say, I'm ready, I'm here. They put on their running shoes, they get ready, And everyone else, it's already all laid out. The race is laid out. The rules are laid out. The end goal, the the prize is laid out. And all they have to do is just run. That's what I'm saying is for you today, 2012, first day. The course is laid out. All you have to do is decide to run. You don't have to figure out all the details. You don't have to know what the prize is going to be at the end. You don't have to know how how the race is going to go. All you need to do is run. Run that race that's marked out before you. Welcome to the starting line. If we want to run this race, though, we need to get a few things down. And what's really cool is this verse, this Hebrews 12.1. I'm telling you, it's great. Keep this in your Bible. It explains everything that we need to do in one verse. It explains everything we need to do right in this verse that goes with it. It says this, okay, to look at the very first sentence. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, stop right there. Therefore means it's the reason why. 
It says, therefore. Whenever you see that, that, that word in the Bible, therefore, there's a reason why it's talking about something. It doesn't just say it. Therefore, it's saying, this is the reason why I'm going to talk to you about running. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what this is talking about is that if you're going to run this race, you've got to get the right motives in mind. You have to get the right motives in mind. If you're starting 2012 with the goal of getting richer, happier, or lazier, it's not going to work out with what God has for you. That's not the point. If it's the goal that in 2013 you're going to be able to say, I have more money in the bank account, I didn't have to work as hard, it's not going to work out. You have to get the motives right. And it says this term, this huge cloud of witnesses. I want to explain this to you. Every single one of us have a cloud. Every one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. Every one of us have been surrounded by people who are watching you. Every single one of us have people around us that we influence that no one else does. There's people who are friends, people who are family, people who are, um, you know, a, a, a co-worker. And they're your cloud. And everywhere you go, there's these people that look into your life and they're, they're watching you. And they're seeing what makes you different, what makes you tick. How do you respond to them? How do you treat them when they treat you bad? How do you react? How do you take when things go wrong? And they're watching you. And they're your cloud. And each and every one of you have a different cloud than I have. Your cloud, maybe, maybe one or two people might touch with mine, but you have people in your cloud that I'm never going to see. And every single one of us have people in our cloud that no one else's cloud has in it. And it said, those are the people that are watching you. And he says, this is why we run. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, these people are our responsibility to show the picture of Jesus to it says this in Romans 10, 14 and 15, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. If we don't go, people don't hear. I'll say it again. If we don't go, if we don't run, people don't hear. There's a cloud that God gave you. And they are watching your life to see what Jesus does. They are watching your life to see if you're going to show them that compassion. And they are watching your life to know what it means. And that is your cloud. And if we do not run this race, they do not hear. I'm telling you, I don't know what you all believe in. You guys can, you guys can figure that out. I mean, every single one of us have certain different beliefs that we have about how God sets up this earth. But I can tell you one that I believe, and, and this isn't in the Bible, but it, it's something that I've, I've taken from it. You don't have to believe it. I believe that every person on earth, every person on earth has one task that's given to them that no one else can do. Because I believe that God is not wasteful. And I believe that every single person who's born on this earth has one task that's given to them that no one else on this earth can do. No one else can do it. And that's why they're here. Now, I don't think most of us ever even know what that task is. And maybe someday when we get to heaven and we stand in front of God, we could figure it out. But I don't know that we'll ever really know it, but I'm saying that if you're here, if you're here and if you are breathing, 
it's because God still has something for you to do that no one else is going to do. No one else is going to be able to reach. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's one friend. Maybe it's your son or daughter. And that's the one thing you're supposed to do right while you're here on earth. Is you're supposed to be that influence and you're supposed to lead them. I'm saying that I think everyone has something. Let me explain it this way, okay? I'm not excited about 2012 simply because of fun things that are going to happen, because of cool things that Axe Church is going to do as much as that's awesome. What excites me about 2012 is people. What it gets me fired up and gets me excited and gets me woken up is people. People hearing about Jesus. That's what gets me fired up. This last year, next week I'm going to tell you more about what happened this last year at Axe Church. But this last year we saw so many people start a relationship with Jesus. It's about people. That's what gets me fired up. It's about friends, family, coworkers, knowing about Jesus. But let's just take it one more step. Can you stop right now? If you have a relationship with Jesus, can you stop and can you picture just one person in your life that you wish was sitting next to you right now? One person in your life that you say, you know what, they need to be here. They need to know about the love of Jesus Christ in their life. That's what needs to get us fired up for 2012. You can say, there are people in my life, in my cloud, that God has surrounded me with, who I have influence on, who are supposed to be here and hear about Jesus. I am not going to miss out on running this race so that I can explain to them because next year at this time, they should be sitting next to me hearing the same exact talk, talking about 2013. Next year at this time, my friend, my son, my daughter, my mom, my dad, my cousin, my boss, my coworker should be sitting right here next to me hearing the same talk and understanding that Jesus has a purpose for their life and he has a race marked out for them too. That's what needs to get us fired up about 2012. It says if we get our mind right, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, the next sentence in this, in this verse. It's so good, isn't it? You can just go sex, little bit by bit. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, listen to this, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Stop right there. If you were a runner, you would never think about carrying any extra weight to a run. Have you ever felt like running shoes? They wear like nothing. They're like air. I bought a new pair of running shoes this last year, and I got them, and I'm like, $100 for that? Like, there's nothing to them because you don't need any extra weight. Do you ever, have, have you ever seen any of those Chicago Marathon things or something like that where someone comes trucking by with like a big rucksack on their back? You're like, what? Or like some guy comes running by with like heavy steel-toed boots. He'd be like, don't think so. They carry no extra weight, nothing. You see those guys. Some of those guys wear shorts that girls shouldn't wear. They're so high. No extra weight. A lot of them, no shirt. No extra weight to carry, them, carry with them. Same thing with us. Are we going to run this race? Then we need to get rid of some of the dead weight. Let me be really real with you. There's some things that we have in our life that are nothing more than dead weight. And some of them can even look good. We think they're good things for our life, but when we actually get real with ourselves, and you guys can, you guys are smart enough, you realize this brings nothing beneficial to my life. It is simply dead weight. Wasted time. Wasted energy, wasted money, dead weight when it comes to my run, when it comes to my race. 
It could be hobbies. It could be a way we spend our money. It could be what we do with, um, you know, time. Be really honest. It could be somebody. It could be a person. I know that sounds harsh, but sometimes there's people that honestly pull us down more than build us up. And there's sometimes a season where you need to step away and say, listen, right now I can't be your friend. Right now I can't be your girlfriend. Right now I can't be your whatever. Because all you're doing right now is, is, is dead weight. And I tell you, I've had friendships like that. I know it sounds harsh because you say, well, how can I be Jesus to them? There are times where you realize that they pull you down far more than you build them up. And sometimes you have to step away for a season. I had to do it in my life. There are a group of friends who, they influenced me far more than I influenced them. I had to step away for about three years. And slowly God started bringing these people back in my life where now I can influence them instead of them influencing me because I was not strong enough at that time. I could have been arrogant and thought, I have it, but I didn't. And every time I was around them, they pulled me down. And I had to say, you know what, I have to cut ties for a couple years. And I had to get solid in my own faith with people who are friends who built me up. And then now, in relationships, I can influence them because I have what I know figured out. Sometimes it can be that. Throwing off that dead weight. Secondly, the sin that so easily entangles. A runner would be foolish to stand at the starting line and when the gun goes off to have his shoes untied, wouldn't he? I mean, what a fool to not take the time to tie the shoes, but that's what God is saying the sin is. He says it's like long shoelaces left untied. You're going to step on them and you're going to trip and fall on your face. It's going to slow down the race and not only that, but you might get hurt. If we're going to run this race efficiently, we, stop, we have to stop holding on to sin in our lives and we have to stop letting the sin hold us back. It says this in Romans 7.14. These are the words of Paul. And um, th- these words are, are just great. Um, I want to read them for you. It's kind of a long section, but I, I just want to read to you what he says. He says this, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably, I inevitably excuse me, do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I know a long time ago I remember reading these words, and to be completely honest, they were some of the most comforting words I could ever hear from the Apostle Paul, and here's why. I don't know about you guys, but I have struggled with sin in my life. Man, I have struggled with sin in my life. And hearing the Apostle Paul talk about that same feeling of wanting to do good but not being able to do it, wanting to accomplish what's right but not being able to. 
it made me realize that I'm not alone. I am a sinner. And by, by Jesus Christ's uh, interpretation where he said, you know, you've heard said that if you, uh, you know, sleep with another man's wife, you're an adulterer. But I say if you look at another woman with lust in your eyes, you're an adulterer. And he says, you've heard you say that do not murder, but it says that if you call a brother a fool, then it, that you're actually a murderer as well too. I'm, I'm an adulterous murderer. By God's law, in my life, I have committed an adultery and I have committed murder in my heart plenty of times. I have failed Man, God's call. And he says, the only hope is in Jesus. There is no condemnation, though, for those that trust in Jesus. What Jesus does is he takes us and he changes us. He rearranges us. And what it does is it breaks those bonds that sins has in our life. And we can begin to walk out of them. Sometimes it's instant. Boom. Done. Sin over. Sometimes it takes time. But what happens is, is we are no longer bound by that sin. We can get out of it. We can destroy it. We can beat it. With Jesus Christ, we can do those things because he's the one who gives us the strength. He's the one that leads us out of it. It's not saying that you need to work extra hard. It's not saying that you need to try to figure it out. But what it's saying is that if we trust Jesus with our hearts, he can change us. He can help us destroy the sin that so easily entangles. We need to vigorously cut out sin from our life, but we also need to watch this, that the sin does not keep us from moving forward with God. Here's what I mean, and this is kind of a hard one to understand. Sin separates us from God. I never want to make a capitulation for sin, but here's the deal. Jesus knows you're a sinner. You're not shocking him. You don't shock him by the fact that you struggle. You don't shock him by the fact that you don't have it all figured out yet. He knows. He knows. It says that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for all of our sin up to this moment. You know, I don't know, if, if, if I was to raise my hand tonight and say, I want to accept Jesus, it's not that he just died for that sin up to tonight. It says that he died for all of that sin and, and everything past that as well. When I accept salvation and I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord, it says that it covered all the sin that I had and all the sin that I will struggle with in my life. He knows. He knew the fact that a long time after, after salvation, I would still have struggles with sin. I would still be tempted to hate. I would still be tempted to do these things. And he knew I wouldn't have it all figured out. But he says, do not let that sin entangle and entrap. You can become better. You can get out of it. And not only that, too, <clears throat> but don't let it hold you back from taking steps moving forward. There are so many people I think that I've met in my life who think that I don't have everything figured out, so I can't take this next step that God has me to do. You need to pray and you need to walk at the same time. There's stuff that God wants to cut out of your life, and there's stuff that maybe sometimes you'll have to stop because reality is, is there's more stuff you've got to work out in you. But I'm telling you that God doesn't say you have a plan for 2012 if you're not a sinner. Well, if you're sinning, though, that's all you've got to worry about. There's really no plan outside of that. There's a plan. There's a plan God has for you. Part of it is the fact that he wants you to step away from those things of sin. But it's going to happen at the same time. Don't let it stop you from taking that next step in whatever God's calling you to do and moving forward as you do it. God will continue to decrease and, and, and pull the sin out of your life, helping you out if you trust him. Think. David, great man after God's own heart, committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
turned around and asked for forgiveness, continued to be used by God. Paul talks about his struggle. This man wrote more than half of the New Testament. Called by God. Had a plan marked out for them, even though they still had a struggle with sin. What I'm saying is this. If you are faithfully seeking God and trying, trying, God will do tremendous things with you. Last but not least, it says at the beginning of this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Listen, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us run with endurance. Endurance really means two things. First and foremost, it means being steadfast. If you're going to run, man, you've got to know what you're running for. These people who run, they don't just guess. They know what the race is. You know what I mean? They come and they're prepared. They have that steadfast mindset. I'm going to finish this race if it kills me. I'm going to get across the finish line. Same exact thing. Let me explain it this way. I can't promise you that 2012 is going to be easier than 2011. There's a lot of people who try to tell you that. You've accepted Jesus Christ now. 2012 is going to be awesome. 2011 was probably hard. But 2012, since you have Jesus, it's going to be perfect in every way. That's probably a lie. We followed Jesus Christ. Did you ever read his, his life? The man was tortured, beat, mocked, murdered. Why do we think that our calling will be any harder or any easier than that? It probably should be harder, right? I'm not saying 2012 is going to be easier, but what I'm saying is that if you know the end goal right now, if you say, I know that I am running towards Jesus, you can run with perseverance. Second, though, that endurance, it means being in it for the long haul. It means never feeling like you've arrived. I don't know where you're at in your faith tonight, but I'm telling you that this race marked out before you is because there is more. Whether or not you are at day three of your relationship with God or whether or not you are at year 30, I'm saying that this next year, 2012, God has a race marked out for you and you have not arrived. You are still running. You have to decide. There's this awesome story, Matthew 28, 16 through 19. I'm going to read it for you real quick. This is after Jesus had died, resurrected, and the apostles come to meet Jesus. And you'd have to imagine they'd figure this is the finish line, right? Jesus came, he taught, he died, he resurrected, we won. Boom, it's over, right? They meet Jesus, and this is what he says in Matthew 28, 16 through 19. The 11 disciples left for Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them actually doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Boom, that should be win, right? Boom, win, all authority, success. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It can be easy to think that we, we accomplish a goal when a big task happens that we are finished. Same thing with these guys. My thought is maybe when they stood in front of Jesus, they figured, this is the win. I have beat death. I have succeeded. And Jesus says, welcome to the starting line. That wasn't the end. That was the beginning. Welcome to the starting line. Now, I have a race marked out for you. Run it with perseverance, with endurance. Right now, we are 18 hours and 45 minutes into a new year. 18 hours and 45 minutes. If we were to compare ourselves with those who were with Moses, the Israelites, not even the first night after crossing the River Jordan, into a new land promised, into a new life, 
into a new starting line. Tonight, we need to decide. Just as Moses said to the Israelites, you need to decide. Here's the law. You need to make your decision. Welcome to the starting line. As Hebrews 12 puts it, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. That same picture. Are you going to run with endurance this year? Are you going to throw off the sin that entangles? Are you going to take it and drop the dead weight? Today is the day you need to make the decision. What I want to do is this. Go ahead and close your eyes for a second. This is just between you and God, okay? And I want to do this because I, I, I just always do. If there's anyone here who, who doesn't have their relationship with Jesus figured out, and you say, listen, you know what? Um, this sounds great, but I actually don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I need a relationship with Jesus to start this, this brand new year, 2012. I do not want to do another year without him. If that's you today, really simple. Just raise your hand, raise your eyes, and look at me, okay? Just raise your hand. I see you. Anyone else today? One person, anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah, just look up, catch my eyes. Okay. I want us real quick, let's pray, let's pray with that one person today. We're going to all pray together, okay, as a family. Let's pray this. You repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I am sorry for the sins I have committed. Please become my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, keep your eyes closed for one second, okay? And this one's just between you and God, okay? You don't have to look at me. You can keep your eyes closed. But here's, here's the question for you, okay? We're at day one. You just crossed the river, and you're standing in a new promise that God has for you, the race marked out for you. You need to decide, just as Moses said to the Israelites, are you going to turn back to the same garbage you had in your life before, are you going to look forward and say, I'm going to run with perseverance? If tonight you say, you know what, I am going to run with perseverance, God. I want to drop the dead weight. I want to let go of the sin that's so easily entangles. I want to be an influence to that, cl- that cloud that you set around me. And you say, I want to run with endurance this race that you have for me, 2013. You just raise your hand. You don't have to look at me. You just raise your hand. This is between you and God, okay? And I just want to pray for all of us together, okay? Jesus, I pray to you, you see all the hands that are raised that say, I want to run this race. I pray to you, God, that you would just send your Holy Spirit to give them the energy. God, that you would be the the Red Bull and power bars necessary, God, to run this race. That you would be our sustenance, God. That you would be our drive. That you would be our end goal. And that we would passionately run it, dropping dead weight, removing the sin in our lives, and running and keeping our eyes on you, Jesus, our prize. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.